We read scripture this evening from Judges chapter 13. We have the account of Samson and his birth. Judges 13. We'll read the chapter. We take as our text the verses 2 through 5. But then we have reference also to Manoah's request. Teach us what we shall do to the child that shall be born, in verse 8. And then again in verse 12, how shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? As parents, we raise those questions as our own up to the Lord. We read from Judges 13. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. Then there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee till we should have made thee ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? That when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. 
And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife than Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would, as at this time, he have told us such things as this. And the woman bare a son, and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We take as our text, as I stated, verses 3 through 5. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are called as parents to raise up and to train our children as covenant children of God. These parents affirmed and reaffirmed that vow this evening. It's a great responsibility as we stand before the living God. Our children must be raised as those that are holy, those that are devoted and set aside to God. They must be raised differently than the children of the world. Now Manoah and his wife faced this challenge in a unique manner. Israel had fallen into grievous sins. God had sent another nation to afflict them, the Philistines, and this time for 40 years. It's a sad assessment that we never read in this context of this specific incident that Israel cried out to the Lord. God, no doubt, worked that repentance, but we don't read of that cry. It's a marvelous testimony to God's goodness that he raised up a deliverer despite Israel's repentance and long before Israel would come to repentance. So that God now sends this angel of the Lord to Manoah and his wife, informing them they're going to have a son who's going to be the deliverer in Israel. As God is working to deliver his children from the hand of the Philistines, with the other hand, He's delivering Israel into the hand of the Philistines. The marvelous grace here of God's covenant faithfulness, afflicting them unto repentance, but already now making the plans necessary to raise up the deliverer through whom he would relieve them. That judge would be Samson, and he would be raised as a Nazarite. This would be a powerful testimony to God's purpose for Israel that she be holy even as God is holy. 
The priesthood at this time was hopelessly corrupt. The public worship of God was destroyed. The people of God were not living in holiness nor godliness. They were not living as those set apart, those consecrated to God. And so God now raises up a single man, a Nazarite, who would begin to deliver them from the Philistines. Note that reference in verse 5. He's not going to accomplish it. It's going to continue until Samuel finally and then David are able to bring that to a completion. But God speaks through this man of the necessity of consecration and devotion to God. And God speaks to us through baptism of the same. We've been cleansed through the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God has established covenant with us and with our children. And what does God say about us? He says, you are a people who are consecrated to me. A people who are to be devoted to me. And a people who will defeat all of our foes by the power of the Spirit and who will glorify God in that covenant communion and union. As we go away from the table of the Lord, we do so with that joy and thankfulness. God has set us aside as his covenant children, whom he's embraced in love, and whom he has called to walk before him in holiness and godliness. We are weak. We are sinners. We look to that shed blood. We look to the power of the Spirit to lead and to guide and to strengthen us. And we seek to give God all glory as those who are thankful by training up those children in a manner that is in accordance with his will. Manoah and his wife, by the grace of God, taught their son that fear. And by God's grace, we as parents teach our children the fear of Jehovah. We teach them the holiness and the consecration that is required of them. We teach them God's promises and the wonder of those promises and the strength of His Spirit. We look at this passage under the theme, The Nazarite Judge, noting God's gracious gift in giving them this deliverer. Noting that He was a Nazarite from birth and noting that He was raised by faithful parents. We read, His wife was barren and bare not. Why was that? And what was the significance of that? The life of every true Israelite was bound up in the typical life of the nation. And it was a life of hope, a life that was always looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah. God had spoken of the promise of the Messiah. They knew the Old Testament prophecies that spoke of his coming. And they knew the one who would obtain victory over sin, who would establish the kingdom of God forever. And for him they longed, and for his coming they looked. After their personal salvation, nothing was more important to the Old Testament saints than that their place would be retained in the typical life of the nation through their offspring. That God would be pleased to bless and to strengthen them in their generations that they might have a place not only in Israel, but that perhaps even from them that deliverer would come. Their place in the nation then was of significance. And we 
acknowledge that. God gave them an inheritance. And that inheritance was precious. It was handed down from parent to child. As they lived in the consciousness of that wonder, their portion was that for which they were grateful. Now, if they were not given any children, that portion would be lost. To the barren wife, this was of the severest of reproaches. This was not a personal judgment on the woman, but God ordained the barrenness in general as a means by which he would demonstrate the spiritual preservation of Israel and show his power also to the Israelites. He would demonstrate salvation is all of God. And we realize that again and again as God caused barren women to have their wombs opened, demonstrating that it was not of man that salvation would come. It was not of the will of man, but it was God and his gracious work. Now, importantly, we note the same today. As difficult as it is for couples not to have children, In no way is this an expression of God's wrath. In no way is it an expression of God's judgment upon them personally. God ordains for his glory that some never marry. He ordains for his glory and according to his sovereign purpose that some are not given children. And God is doing that all for the good of his church as he was in this day. This was all for the good of his church and for the glory and honor of his name. Now, Manoah's wife, in spite of her personal faith, stood in that barrenness then as a symbol of the spiritual state of Israel of her day. It's evident that her and her husband were a godly couple. They were spiritually minded. And yet, they found themselves in this situation where God had not been pleased to give them children. A symbol of the spiritual state of Israel of that day. Fruitfulness was a sign of God's blessing to his people. Exodus 23 verse 26 talks about that. Whereas barrenness was a sign and symbol of God's displeasure upon Israel. Many passages talk about that. For instance, in Deuteronomy 7 verses 12, 13, 14. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. But when Israel departed from Jehovah, then Jehovah would close up the wombs of the animals and of the women. And he wouldn't be a respecter of persons. It wasn't as though just the wicked wombs would be closed up. God would close up wombs. The result would be that Israel would cry out to God in their adversity and in their trouble. And God then would hear their cry. He would hear that repentance. And God would give children then to women who previously had not been able to bear. He would show his faithfulness and he would demonstrate, this is my covenant and I am the one who will keep covenant. And I am the one who will see to it that a seed will be raised up For my glory. The barrenness then of Manoah's wife reflected the spiritual state of Israel. Israel was not walking in accordance with God's will. And their misery was chiefly spiritual. She had sunk into the depths of unfaithfulness. 
There's no need for God to elaborate on that evil. We simply read of it again in verse 1, and we find this repeated throughout the time period of the judges. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. You children remember the nature of that evil? It's often depicted as every man did what was right in his own eyes. Instead of submitting to God and to his will and to his word, as clearly laid out in his commandments, they did what they wanted to do. Repeatedly, God had to deal with them the idolatry, the spiritual adultery that was evident. And the anger of the Lord then would wax hot against the nation. Israel departed from the precepts, the commandments of God, not living in thankfulness to God, not dependent upon God, not putting their trust in Him, not training up their children, not walking in holiness and godliness but themselves walking in sin and then giving their children to be married to unbelievers. Now, tragically, as time went on, God's people became less and less sincere. And they didn't turn to the Lord as quickly as previously they had. By the time of Samson, now we're getting to the end of the 14 judges. And during this time period, we have recalled that cycle where Israel would walk in sin. God would chastise them by giving them over to a nation. They would cry out to God in repentance, worked by God in their hearts, and then God would raise up a deliverer. As time went on, Israel, like a rebellious child, becomes hardened, like a child whom you spank and it doesn't phase them. And so you have to spank them again. And they refuse to cry even. They become extremely stubborn with regard to, to that discipline. God sent a deliverer this time to Israel prior to their expressing that sorrow. Now we know that repentance is necessary. It's essential for salvation. The book of Judges teaches again and again the necessity of repentance. But that repentance is not a work of the sinner. It's not a work by which the sinner earns or makes himself worthy of God's salvation. The salvation of the sinner is not explained in terms of the fact that they repented and therefore they were saved because they repented. Salvation is a free gift from God. And God gives that gift of salvation unconditionally, flowing out of the gracious decree of his sovereign eternal election. We know that the only work that earns salvation for the sinner is the work of Jesus Christ. The wonder by which Jesus, through his lifelong obedience, his perfect sacrifice and atoning death, earned salvation as that which alone is the ground and foundation for us and our salvation. Repentance is necessary as the means that God uses to bring elect sinners to know and to enjoy their salvation. After 40 years, Israel must and they will repent before God because God will work that repentance. God will bring his rebellious son to tears. The salvation of Israel, however, did not depend again on their repentance. If that were the case, they would never be saved. They would have never been delivered. The salvation of Israel is God's work of grace by which he turns the hearts of his people to himself. God is conscious of Israel's opposition. 
When Israel neither deserves nor desires deliverance, God comes to Manoah and to his wife. Twenty years of oppression have already taken place. By this time, Israel is not crying out to God. Twenty more years are going to come upon them so that 40 years is going to be the time period of the Philistine oppression before finally Samson is grown up and begins the work of deliverance. But God is the one that is preserving to himself a people. And God now raises up this deliverer through this godly couple. But thou shalt conceive and bear a son. God would give her a child. What a joy. For Manoah's wife, this was almost too wonderful to imagine. They had been praying that God would grant them a child. Perhaps now they had given up on that. But God now is going to lift the reproach of her barrenness. But their joy is not just selfish in that regard. Manoah and his wife, it's evident, loved Israel. God would not only give them a child, but God would give them one who would deliver Israel from their enemy. This was the godly desire of Manoah and his wife. As becomes evident throughout the history, they loved the Lord. They desired that there be deliverance from these evil Philistines. They desired that Jehovah's glory would return again to Israel. And now God would raise up their son as a tool through which that deliverance would begin. Samson, then, is a wonder child. His conception, his birth, are miracles of God. A miracle worked in a barren womb. Again, we know God often did that through the history of his church in order to demonstrate again and again salvation is not according to the will of men. Salvation is all of God. God is the one who can do what is impossible from human expectation. And clearly it's evident here in this history that salvation is of God alone. Now that was true of all the judges. But on the foreground and deliberately emphasized is the truth in the case here of Samson. Now Samson would be different. He would be a Nazarite from birth. We read, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 5. Samson differs in that regard from all the other judges. He's a Nazarite. The Nazarite was of special significance in Israel. Why did Samson have to be a Nazarite? A Nazarite was a person whose life was wholly given to devotion to Jehovah. And that was symbolized in the threefold denial that characterized his life. He was one who was consecrated in holiness to God. And so he was to be completely devoted to Jehovah in all of his work and in all of his life. And he demonstrated that devotion then through the threefold requirement that was placed upon him. Really, the Nazarite was demonstrating what was true of all of Israel. Each Israelite was devoted to Jehovah. And the confession of the people of God was holiness to Jehovah. But God picked in a special way these men then who were 
specifically Nazarites, to depict that important reality within Israel. Now, negatively, you children even know the three things that he had to avoid. He was, a Nazarite was not allowed to drink strong drink, and that symbolized his denial of the pleasures of life for the service of God. Especially difficult that would have been in the time and in the location that Samson is being raised here among the Danites. They were especially known for the vines that they raised, for the excellent wine that they produced. But that was now to be outside of his purview. He was not allowed to touch the fruit of the vine. But secondly, typically a Nazarite was not allowed to touch a dead body because death was the result of the sin and the curse of sin. However, in the case of Samson, because he's a judge, it seems as though that aspect was exempted so that Samson was given the responsibility to fight against the Philistines. And as a result of that fighting, of necessity, he was in touch. He handled the dead and the dying. Also, you recall when he killed the lion. So that there was another instance where with his hand, God raised up his power that he killed a lion. Later on, he went and he fetched honey out of that carcass of the lion. Again, it would seem that with regard to Samson, because he was a judge and because of the character of his work, that was an exemption. But thirdly then, he was not allowed to have his head shaved. No razor could come upon him. And that symbolized that he was free from all the influence, all the fashion of men. His long hair, a sign of his strength. That his strength was from the Lord. The cutting of his hair would defile him. And again, we're familiar with Samson and the way in which his weakness and his fall came. There were other incidents in the life of Israel where they were not allowed to cut something of nature. For instance, when it came to building an altar... An altar had to be established with unhewn stones. They couldn't use stones that had been cut when they were building an altar. The Nazarite, in a sense, was a walking altar unto the Lord, dedicated to God, consecrated to Him in the service of the Lord. And the Nazarite then typified the wonder of God, not of men. Now, Samson was called to be one of the strictest of the Nazarites that we have recorded for us in the Bible. Ordinarily, the position of a Nazarite was something that would be chosen by a man. Here in the case of Samson, however, it's required of him by Jehovah. Before he's even conceived, he's already set aside and set apart as a Nazarite. There's a parallel here, and that parallel is to us and our children as the children of believers. Our children are called to live a holy life of consecration and devotion to God. They're not to do that because they agreed to do it, not to do that because they decided to do that. The child of covenant parents is bound to devote himself to God because God has set that one apart unto himself. And God has done that from all eternity as signified then in baptism. In baptism, God has bound a vow on that covenant child. That child is consecrated to God and is to live unto God. 
So it was with Samson. Before he was even born, that bow had been consecrated upon him. Now, as Samson grew up, he did so initially as one who valued that vow. He demonstrated his faithfulness to God. Now, we realize he did not do so as he could have. He didn't do so as he should have. Neither do we. We too are sinners in that regard. But he does guard his hair from childhood on. And he only gives up that vow when Delilah repeatedly is pressuring him with questions about the origin of his strength. And finally, in his weakness, he gives in. Adding to the strictness of this position as a Nazarite is the fact that even his mother was to be subjected to this requirement. It's striking that his mother, while carrying him in the womb and nursing him, was called to this. So that in the strictest of senses, he would be devoted to God in holiness. This vow was for life. Ordinarily, the Israelite would take a vow of a Nazarite for a time. God set Samson apart for life. A powerful testimony to Israel that holiness unto God is not something temporary. It's not just for a time. Holiness unto God is required for the whole of our lives. Now, Samson's wife, would be a Nazarite temporarily by carrying Samson while carrying him. But then Samson would be a Nazarite for life. And we're thankful for the testimony of Hebrews 11, verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32 notes Samson as weak and sinful as he was, as one of the heroes of faith. And he set forth there in that chapter as one concerning whom more could be said. Now, this matter of Samson's mother taking the oath demonstrates, again, a fundamental truth of the covenant. God uses godly parents, especially godly mothers, as those called to raise up his deliverers. This was true not only of Samson, it was true of John the Baptist, finally, of Jesus. Consecration to God begins with the parents. Are you walking with God? Do you love the Lord? Do you know the wonder of the salvation that God has given you in Jesus Christ? Do you testify to the fruit of His Spirit in your lives? And are you living subject to your Lord? Do you know yourself to be consecrated to God? And you desire to walk in thankfulness and in praise to Him as the God of your salvation? That's the calling that is placed upon us as parents. We are consecrated to God. We are set aside unto the Lord. Those who desire holy children themselves must be walking in holiness. And God demonstrates that here with Manoah and his wife. Now in the day of the judges, godly parents and Nazarites were all too rare. Few men were willing to take upon themselves that vow of a Nazarite under the expanded influence of sin they were loving that sin they didn't want to subject their lives to Christ and to the will of Jehovah God and beloved tragically the same is true today in the materialism the society in which we live who wants to be holy who wants to give up all that fun all those 
experiences. Who wants to be consecrated to God and to walk humbly before His face? Few. Few are willing to submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To confess, Jesus is my Lord. And my calling then is to submit to Him. We too are tempted with the Israelites of old to do what's right in our own eyes. The Nazarite vow was a type, it was a picture of the holiness that is in Jesus Christ and by the power of His Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. In His devotion to God and in His separation from the things of the world, the Nazarite was a symbol of that sainthood. He was pictured as pure from defilement, pure from sin, a picture of Jesus Christ, who is not so much as conceived in sin, so holy was our Lord. He was freed entirely from sin. So that as such, the judges, and then specifically the Nazarites, were a picture of Christ. Christ is the one who possesses the true devotion to God that was symbolized by the Nazarites. The Nazarites could never do it perfectly. Samson failed. But he pointed to the one who could, the one who would maintain that holiness in perfection. As God's true child, the spiritual one who loved God, who consecrated the whole of his life to the service of his heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ lived his life separate from sin, devoted to his Father. And he did so perfectly. He did so unto the cross. He did so for our salvation and for our deliverance in order that he might work in us his Spirit so that we also might be holy even as he is holy. Now, as a typical deliverer again, Samson failed in his obedience and his holiness. Often he gave himself over to his lusts and to his passions, demonstrating his inability to save anyone, much less himself. And that's revealed by the Spirit for a purpose again, to demonstrate the power and the wonder of the grace of God. The grace of God by which God would make known the deliverer through his own Son the deliverer who would not fail, the mediator who would be the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ, and to make the need for that mediator all the more urgent. Israel was able to see again and again, salvation is not by men. The priesthood is not able to deliver us. The kings aren't able to deliver us. The prophets reveal their weakness. The judges aren't able, all of which pointing to the only one who could and would. This separation then of the Nazarites was not a separation from men, but it was a separation from the things that were signified. They dwelt among their brethren. Samson lived among his people. But before his eyes was that calling to exemplify true faith and obedience. He was seen. He was heard. Now, any man in Israel could take this vow upon himself. And what he did, then he would be required to live a special life of devotion, 
Some felt a need to do that at certain occasions in their lives in order to give expression to their faith and to their faithfulness and to their thankfulness. And God gave this provision. Samson was made by law. Manoah and his wife, different from the rest of Israel and from the others who had taken voluntarily this vow upon themselves. Another striking thing about Manoah and his wife, they were still children of faith. It's evident from the context and from the history that they feared Jehovah. They walked in awe of Jehovah. Verse 15, which we read, And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee till we shall have made thee ready, made ready for thee a kid. He extolled God and God's name and desired to worship God and desired to show forth thankfulness and praise to God. They could rejoice in the wonder of a child dedicated to God from his youth. Most parents in Israel would not rejoice in that. They would not want a child who would have to be a Nazarite. By this gift, God realized the prophecy of dying Jacob in Genesis 49, verse 16. Jacob spoke about Dan, and that's the tribe from which Manoah and his wife came. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Samson is that one who comes from Dan to judge his people. Now, Manoah and his wife had to raise Samson different from the other children of Israel. You and I know how difficult it is to raise our children to be different. We want our children to fit in. We want our children to blend in with others and in the world. Often the biggest fear of a mother is that his child is going to stand out, that her child will get picked on, that that child might get mocked as a result. Or that child's going to be looked down on because that child doesn't have the right clothes or the right accent or the right lunch or whatever else it might be. We often go out of our way to make sure that our children have everything that they, that they need and they fit in as well as they can with the other students so that there's no evidence of them being different. And we teach our children often by our own actions and by our attitude and conduct really that you ought to do everything you can to fit in with the crowd. Our children, beloved, as God's children, must be different. They will be different. Our children must be taught to be different from the children of the world. They must be taught to stand up for God. They must be those who are consecrated to God, who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And therefore, they're going to be different in terms of what they set their eyes on what they listen to with their ears. They're going to be different as to how they use their tongue and what they speak of. They're going to be different as to where their feet run to and where their hands go. That difference is going to characterize the whole of their life. And they must be called to be willing to stand up for God and for His glory, despite what opposition might come upon them. God calls us to teach our children to stand up as God's friends in the midst of this world. So that from early on, we're teaching them, you're not your own. You belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And as they grow up, we're teaching them and impressing upon them the fact that they need to live unto God. God has consecrated them 
to himself. He's the one who gave them a savior. He sent his own son to shed his blood on their behalf. And they need to live for him. They need to live unto him. Now, children who live godly are going to get mocked in our day. They're going to get ridiculed. Children who seek to be faithful to Jehovah God and live according to his commandments are going to face opposition. They're going to face opposition from the world. They're going to face opposition in the workplace. They're going to face opposition sometimes even, sadly, in the schools. Children are cruel. Children have sinful natures. Depraved they are by nature. And that depravity comes out. And they look down on, they mock, they ridicule one who's trying to do what's right before God. They're given to lying. They're given to stealing. They're given to whatever sin it is. Mocking the teacher. Disobeying the teacher. And now this one refuses to join with them and is even courageous enough to tell them they ought not do that. They're going to respond. And they're going to Be cruel to that one. Now, as students, you need to help one another. Who are you? You are God's children. You are consecrated to God. You're spiritual Nazarites. And you need to live for Him and for His glory. And as teachers, when we become aware of such, we need to deal with it. Those who take their stand in godliness and devotion to Christ are not going to have an easy life here below. And we know that, and we prepare our children for that. We teach them of that reality, and we teach them it's because of your union to Christ. What did Jesus say when he was still with us on earth? He said, my children are not of the world. If they were of the world, then would the world love them? The world would embrace them, but they're not of the world. And as a result, the world will hate them, and the world is going to persecute them, and there's going to be trouble. It hated me. It's going to hate you. But don't be afraid. I'm with you. And I will preserve you. And I will keep you. Consecrated we are to the living God. And by God's grace, we look to Him for strength. We look to Christ for the courage to stand for what is right. And God works in us repentance. We turn from our sin. We say we're sorry. And we seek to do what's good and what's pleasing in his eyes. Samson was raised by faithful parents. Manoah himself desires to see the angel to confirm the message that his wife received. Again, Manoah and his wife were an exception in Israel during this time, especially among the Danites. The Danites, as we read of them, were given to idolatry. They were given to much sin. But in their simple way, this couple had remained faithful to the worship of Jehovah. They refused to give recognition to the idol gods that much of Israel had given themselves over to. And the result is that in their worship, they're kind of left alone. It seems as though they are somewhat isolated within Israel. The majority of the Israelites given over to the pagan festivals and the pagan activities. But God preserved to himself a faithful couple so that they trusted in the goodness of God and so that they were willing, even in the midst of their spiritual difficulties with barrenness and with troubles, to look to him and to know his goodness and to pursue his will. Many years, no doubt, had gone by with tears and with prayers 
Now the message of God is, you're going to have a child. But their deepest joy is, this child is going to be used by God as a deliverer. He's going to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were the worst enemy that Israel had known. Not only did they go through the land oppressing the people, they brought misery to them, but they also were encouraging and instructing the people in the practices of idolatry. And they were not only physically, but they were spiritually having tremendous influence on the Israelites, undermining the moral life of the nation. Now, both their desires would be fulfilled. A child who would be a Nazarite, who would be used by God as a deliverer. And so Manoah had listened to his wife's account. His wife had the appearance of the angel. She came and told Manoah. He listens to it with surprised and mixed feelings. Is this really true? He knew the honesty of his wife. She was a reliable source. He wished with all of his heart that this promise truly would be able to come to pass, but there were so many questions unanswered. So many things he would have asked the angel if he would have had occasion. And he wanted so badly to witness the same thing as his wife had witnessed. And so he cries out in prayer, O my Lord, let the man of God, which thou didst send, come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that is born. What a prayer of faith. This is the prayer of the godly couple who's blessed with a child. How shall we order this child? What shall we do with this child? As a child of faith, it was important that he be assured of God's will and God's way for his family. And God always stands ready to bring his children to the full expression of that faith. God listened to this prayer. And the angel now comes and appears to both of them in order to confirm what he had testified to Manoah's wife and to affirm the faith of Manoah. Out of a desire to honor God, they teach their son to be different. They prepared him to walk in obedience as a consecrated child of God. They saw to it he did not cut his hair. They taught him the necessity of obeying God above all. And they did so by faith. A faith that's rooted in God's promise, which had been shown them by the angel. A faith that believed God is the one who would raise up his deliverer and would be pleased to use their son for that purpose. Beloved, that's the faith that we as parents go forward. We lay hold on God's word and God's promise. And we train our children in the confidence Jehovah God will bless that instruction. Our children need to be warriors on behalf of Jehovah God and for the sake of the truth of God's word and for the good of his kingdom. And as such, they need to be taught from early on. Israel needed to learn this lesson. We need to learn this lesson, beloved. And God entrusts us as parents with covenant children whom he has chosen from eternity as those consecrated to himself. And he instructs us, teach them, train them, trust my spirit to work in their hearts, to make them valiant for the truth, to make them strong in the faith, that they will grow up to know their sin, 
to know Jesus Christ as their Lord, to live their life in humble submission to Him, and to devote themselves to the cause of Jehovah God. Beloved, what a merciful and gracious God we have. We are sinful. We are weak. Our children aren't desiring to be set aside. They're not desiring to be set apart. And yet, even as in Samson's situation, Jehovah God comes to us who are spiritually barren. He opens the wombs and he gives to us to know his favor, his goodness, and his mercy. And he does so through baptism. He testifies to us this evening your sins. They've been washed. They've been cleansed through the blood of my own son. I'm the one who faithfully sent that deliverer. And that deliverer was faithful. And as we come away from the table this morning, we confess the wonder of that sacrifice. He offered up the sacrifice that was necessary in order to accomplish our deliverance. What a merciful and gracious God we have sinful, weak, and yet in his grace, God forgiving us, God strengthening us for the work to which he calls us, and God working in us that thankfulness and that commitment to do all to the glory and to the honor of his holy name. How shall we order our children? What a weighty calling. But as we raise up that question to Jehovah God, he gives us this answer. I will preserve my covenant with you and with your seed. I will raise up from your midst children who are devoted to me, who give their lives in the service of holiness and godliness. That which we could never do, that which our children could never do of themselves, Jehovah God is able to perform. Enabling us to stand against all of the powers and pressures of sin. All the temptations of the devil. In order to walk humbly and faithfully in consecration and devotion to our God. Only by the grace of God is he able to accomplish that wonder in our children. And it begins in our homes. By the grace of God. Holy men and women desiring a holy offspring in order that God might be glorified and magnified. Our God is a merciful God who forgives us and who by His Spirit strengthens us. And we look to the power of the Deliverer to strengthen us as parents, to forgive us and to work in the hearts of our children true godliness and holiness. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, work in us repentance, true sorrow for our sins. Cause us to know the wonder of the Deliverer, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That which man could never accomplish, thou didst accomplish through the wonder of his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And may we ever live in the joy and the wonder of that sacrifice, showing ourselves to be a people devoted and consecrated to Thee in holiness, counting it a privilege to serve Thee in love and to train up the children entrusted to us in Thy fear and for Thy glory. Amen.